morning, party people. How are we doing today, huh? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling froggy? I never knew what froggy meant, but anyway, hey, if it's your first time here today, my name is Craig and my wife Patty and I get to pastor this church and we are so honored that you are here. Thanks for coming and being a part. Um, Let me just explain, some of you might not have known about the Church United, which I don't know how, but anyway, um, yesterday, if you were not a part of it, I'm just going to, I know, I hate to say you should have been there, but you should have been there. We had an amazing time. Get this, we had 600 people show up from different churches to serve our community. And it was just absolutely fabulous, the lives that were touched and changed. Everybody that participated had a great time and was talking about it. It's great being together and realizing that there's other beautiful Christian people that might go to another church, but we are all part of the church. And getting ready to serve together and cleaning up people's yards. And the number one thing that homeowners would say, they would say, excuse me, why would a church that I don't even know show up and help me fix my house. And we're like, because God loves you that much. And just knowing, sometimes people are so cut off from community, they don't realize that they're, God loves them and knows right where they are, and they just need somebody to show up and give them a little bit of love, and a lot of times that love can go th- come through a little bit of elbow grease. And uh, the property changes everything, it's just amazing. So thank you for being a part of that. If you did miss it, we have a tentative date doing another one in the spring. So you can get ready now. Um, well, then what's the date? I don't know yet. I said tentatively, <laughs> tentatively, but in the spring. And so it'll be a great, great time. So be a part of that. Okay. So we're in this series called Brick by Brick. And let me, let me just say this. If you haven't listened to or seen the last two episodes, you really need to go back and watch those. If it's your first time here and you're like, well, I don't know, is this going to mean anything for me today? It will. It'll be applicable today what you hear. However, if you have the other two episodes with it, it'll change your life. Okay. So um, several years ago, several years ago, several years ago, I got to go to England and I toured a bunch of different castles. Does he, any castle lovers, like, like you just think it's cool? I, I'm one of those guys. Um, but honestly, after I toured about two or three of these, four, five of these castles, they all start looking alike. It's just a big rock building with a lot of rooms and echoey chambers and all that stuff and suits of armor around every corner and this one I do remember this one I think it was like the second or third I honestly don't remember one of the castles I've been seeing these suits of armor everywhere and so I go up these stairs and there's a suit of armor right there in the corner which was not weird but this one was in a complete glass case which was you know the rest of them weren't like that and I asked my little tour guide fella I was like hey fella um, why is this one in a glass case and nothing else is in a gla- All the other suits of armor, you can go up and, you know, touch them and mess with them and all that stuff. And he was like, what do you see different about this one, lad? I'm like, I'm not your lad. Or a boy. But either way, I said, he said, what do you see different? I'm like, helmet, breastplate, gloves. I don't know, bro. It's the same. He goes, look closer. You're not looking close enough, lad. And I said, oh, okay. And I look again. I'm like, bro, I don't see nothing. He said, Allow me to point out this little thing right here. And he points, and on the breastplate, there was a hole right there, about that big around, right, right there. And I, he said, do you know what that is? And I said, no, I don't. He goes, that's another time, and now, now nothing, nothing is the same. The same. I'm like, I'm like, stop, stop talking, talking British, British riddles, riddles, bro. Just what, what he's saying. He goes, that's a bullet hole, lad. A bullet hole. He said, 
This was, from what we can tell, the first suit of armor that came to the first place where a gun was brought to the battle. And so he said, this, I don't know if this is true, but you know, he's a tour guide. So he said, this is where that phrase comes from. Maybe you've heard it in America. Never bring a knife to a Never bring a knife to a gunfight. Now, I don't know if that's where it really came from, but it was definitely evident that somebody showed up with the wrong thing. Can I get a good dummy? Right? You just, you got to know what battle you're stepping into because if you equip yourself and gear yourself up with the wrong thing, even though you think it's right, if it's not right, if it's not the right equipment for the right battle that you are in, you will lose every single time. You will get... To quote the prophet Bon Jovi, shot in the heart, right? You will get, you'll get jacked up from the floor up. And so we, we're going to talk today about having the right equipment with us in this spiritual battle. We're talking about spiritual warfare in this series. And so if you're, again, I'm not going to go through all of it, but if um, you know, you're here and you don't believe in any spiritual warfare, well, then you're the first one that's going to get a bullet in the heart, right? Okay, so that, that's fine, um, or there, or whatever. But we're talking about a biblically balanced view of spiritual warfare and what that looks like. The first week, we talked about, if anybody remembers, you can help me out. We talked about knowing your in, 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 in. I ain't got time to re-preach them, boys and girls. Come on. Know your enemy. We talked about the devil and what his schemes are, his tactics and all that stuff. And then the second week, which was last week, this should be fresher on your mind if you were here, um, fresher on your mind. We talked about knowing yourself or your mind. You can pick either one. Um, Knowing what's going on up here and being aware of that. Today we're going to talk about knowing your equipment, what God has equipped you with for the battle. And I'm going to tell you the topic right off the bat, and I'm telling you right now, some of you are going to immediately tune me out because you grew up in church. You went to Sunday school. You went to children's church. And when I say that we're talking about the armor of God, you're going to be like, oh my God, that's such a children's thing, the armor of God. Really, I've heard it preached so many times. And I say armor of God, and some of you are expecting me to pull out. Come on, anybody remember children's church? Anybody grew up in church? Nobody in second service? Raise your hand if you grew up in church. Don't be ashamed. Good Lord. Be ashamed of doing drugs and shacking up. Don't be ashamed of growing up in church. So you're like, well, yeah, I guess I... Come on! That's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> if you grew up in church and I say armor of God, you're expecting me to pull out the flannel graph. How many... Come on, date yourself. Remember the flannel graph or something like that, a little armor and um, all that stuff? And so here's the deal. The armor of God is a beautiful illustration that's in Ephesians chapter 6 that the Apostle Paul came up with. But here's the problem that I see with it. People have gone and they have preached and leaned on the illustration while missing and ignoring the truth that the illustration is trying to point out. We immediately focus on the armor of God because we can visually see something that is in the spiritual world. But the problem is the Apostle Paul is not saying... Pay attention to the physical world of the armor of God. Pay attention to the spiritual battle and these, this equipment that you have been given by the Lord. Does, does that make sense? So today, here's what I need you to do. I need you to learn. I need you to take out your notebooks, your phone, whatever you're going to do. Write this stuff down. Um, but can, you, can we all, especially those of you that were so proud of growing up in church, um, can, can we just put the illustration to the side? I know it's in the Bible, and yet the Apostle Paul wrote it. I get that, and I'm not negating any of that. But can we just kind of put all of that visual stuff to the side for a second so we can get to the truth? Can we just nod at me? Presbyterian, amen. Come on. Come on. All right, all right. All right. So 
In your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Isn't it important? And I think we even miss this sometimes. It's not your armor. It's God's armor. It's already been battle-tested and approved. You don't own it. You didn't start out with it. You didn't earn it. You got nothing to do with it. But God blesses you by loaning it to you until a day in glory where we ain't going to need it no more. What? What? All right. Every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle... If you don't think there's a spiritual war going on, then why is there an after the battle? But I'm so thankful that he put those words in there, then after, because honey, you still going to be standing. Come on. There is an after the battle. Some of you are going through a really serious battle right now. You might be struggling in your home, your family, your finances, your job, I don't know where or what, but no matter what battle you're going through, let me just encourage you right now, there is an after. And what you need to do is... Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. Don't you stop fighting. There is an after the battle. Okay, so here's what we're equipped with. Verse 14, you ready? Here we go. Stand therefore. When you've done all you can do to stand, just stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. First time I ever read that as a kid in preparation, was a big word, the only other preparation I knew was preparation H, and I didn't know how that fit into the Bible. That's a true story. With the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. See, some of you are already tuning out you're already like, this is so children's churchy. Hang with me. Salvation in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, we're going to go through this and I want you to do me a favor. I'm saying it again because I think some of you are still stuck in this thing. You're thinking I'm going to keep coming back to the armor and I'm not because we've lost so much truth focusing on an illustration. And think about this. We've talked about these first two episodes of this. We talked about the spiritual warfare. It really starts with what? A, a, a thought that the devil puts in your mind. Uh, and we said, well, those thoughts, as an illustration, are bricks. And every thought that he gives you is not a sin, but a thought process can mess up your life. And those thoughts and those bricks, we take them. We shouldn't. They start out small, simple, and believable. Not biblical, not true, but believable. And we take those and we begin constructing in ourselves and in our minds a stronghold of depression, a stronghold of negativity, a stronghold of gossip, a stronghold of lying, a stronghold of lust, whatever, you know, all those things. And we give the enemy the right and the ability to live in that stronghold in our mind because we have built the very stronghold for him with the bricks that he has given us. And that's why we have so many Christians. I mean, I'm going to repeat myself in the last two weeks. That's why we have so many Christians that love Jesus, and you're here, and you are heaven-bound. You are glory-bound. Glory! Right? But you're living a defeated life day after day and not walking in all the blessings that God has for you and not all the mental freedom that God has for you because you have allowed strongholds to stay. Okay? Now, if I took that illustration and we took it to the extent that so many people have taken the armor of God illustration and said, oh, bricks, thoughts, yeah, I like that. And then we start preaching on, do you know what a brick is made out of? It's made out of gravel. And then you have to, like, heat it. 
I guess I've never made a brick, but okay, okay, and, and sand and, and, and stuff. I don't know, again, I don't know what's in a brick. And we lose the very principle because of the illustration. That's what's happened to the armor of God. We've lost the power of the scripture of what God has equipped us with. So are you ready to be empowered today? All right, here's the first thing that he tells us that we need in our equipment, and it's truth. Write it down. It's truth. From the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, the enemy shows up, and the first thing he's trying to do, and that he does successfully, is deceive. He tells lies. Jesus said this about the enemy in John 8, 44. He said, he, that's the devil, Satan, the enemy, Lucifer, pick a name, he's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies. Now... My mother tongue, my native language, is this thing called, what, what language am I speaking? What, what am I talking? No, I'm talking redneck. Come on, y'all. Uh, an English version called redneck. So that's my, that's my mother tongue is redneckishness, I, whatever. Um, I speak a little Spanish, enough to get arrested. I speak a little Italian that is so embarrassing, it's ridiculous, but and for both of those languages, I have to think really hard to come up with the words for that. But English, since it's my mother tongue, I don't have to think about what I'm going to say, nor do you, whatever your native tongue is. You don't have to think about it. You just immediately, it comes out of your mouth. Some of you should think about what you say first, but we don't. Anyway, you just, you just say it. You don't have to think about it. Understand this. The enemy's mother tongue is lying and deception. So if he has put any thought in your mind, why are you questioning it? I guarantee, according to the Bible, it is a lie from the very beginning. Don't debate with him. Don't argue with him. It's not the truth. Here's two things that I see people, and I'm talking really fast, and I know that I'm going to talk this fast all the way through because I have a lot to go through. Are you ready? Here's two things that I see people constantly struggling with, with the lies of the enemy, and we end up debating it rather than rebuking it. I, I've been saved for decades. I've been preaching for decades, and these are two things that I still hear from the enemy almost on a daily basis. No kidding. So this is like, if you say, that's not me, well, you're a liar. Okay, so um, he wants to attack our beliefs. God is angry with me. I've gone too far to come back. I've, go, I've messed up too much. Or God has cut me off. I've just done the unpardonable sin. That's the one, right? People say, start reading the Bible, and they come to that one verse in the Bible. Oh, you've done it. You don't have to even admit it or look at me. You just put your head down. You come to that verse in the Bible where it says, if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, it is an unpardonable sin. Come on. It's, it's in the Bible, right? And the minute somebody reads that, they immediately Pastor. I think I done did it. You done did what? I done did it. You did what? I, I think I committed that unpardonable sin, that, that blasphemy of, what is it called, of the Holy Ghost. I'm like, no, you can't even pronounce it, let alone do it, right? <laughs> Understand this. We get so concerned about that. Why? Because the enemy's throwing it in our minds. Let me help you out and put you at ease. The very fact that you are concerned that you might have done it shows that the Holy Spirit is alive and well, living in you and convicting you of those things, and so that's not a problem. So don't give seed to it. Don't give thought to it. Stop arguing with those thoughts of the enemy and recognize you are a saved child of the king. All right? Another one is our own self-worth. Me, yes, all the time. I think I get these thoughts. 
See, we want to say, I think these thoughts. Let me tell you something. The enemy is the one planting these thoughts in your head. We say, oh, I'm not good enough. You ever thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. You ever thought that? Well, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I'm not this or I'm not that. Or the second one, I'll always have this struggle. I'll always have this addiction. I'll always have this problem. That's not biblical. Can I tell you? See, those are all small, simple, believable thoughts. It is not biblical. Here's what the Bible says about you. I'm going to read this big, long list, and it's in your notes under the appendix. It's at the end. It won't be on the screen. And you can help me preach it if you want to. That is totally fine. But, But let me tell you something. When I go through this, you need to find a scripture that fits your dilemma fits your stronghold and memorize it. Look it up and memorize it and use it because this is what the Bible says about you. You can put your name in here. I'm a new creation in Christ, a child of God, a branch of the true vine, a friend of Jesus, justified and redeemed, an heir, a sanctified saint, a temple of the Holy Ghost, a member of Christ's body, an ambassador for Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, chosen, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven, sealed with the Holy Spirit, made alive in Christ, raised and seated with him in the heavenly places, God's workmanship, a citizen of heaven. I am no longer a slave. I have been set free. That's who you are. And that's who I am. But we want to debate down here in the mud with the enemy. Well, I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. Seriously? You're a child of the king. You've been redeemed and forgiven. Why are you in the mud debating with the enemy about what he says about you? When he says that crap about you, you need to remind him of who you really are. And you are a child of the king. All right. Here's the second one. Are we all doing all right? I'm a little pumped up about this one. Can you tell? Here's the second one righteousness take breastplate out of the just can we just righteousness righteousness here's what the bible says romans 5 1 says therefore since we have been made righteous right in god's sight by what by faith we have peace with god because of what jesus christ our lord has done for us because of our faith christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege boothing you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but you got it anyway. Your behavior did not seal it, his blood sealed it for you. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and you should underline both of these words, we stand confidently and joyfully looking forward to sharing God's glory. That's good stinking stuff. And there's two kinds of righteousness. So the first one, the first one you can, you can fill in the blank, is our positional righteousness, right? And all, I think most people agree on this. Once you're saved, you have been, once you receive and accept the sacrifice that Jesus did for us, you're saved. You have a right standing with God. You, you're, you're good. It is a, y'all tracking with me? Some of you looking at me like a calf at a new gate. All right, you have a right standing with God. Now the other one, this is where people get all froggy on me, and that's the, the righteous living, okay? In other words, how do we live rightly with other people? This is, the, this is that Monday morning righteousness. Oh, come on. Just look at your neighbor and say, oh, he's preaching to you. How do we get along with other people? Some of you might have lost that debate on the way to church today. That, that how do we get along? Let me, just, let me just sum it all up to say this. Most of us would get out of most of the traps that the enemy has laid for us if we would just practice living right. Yeah. 
I'm going to say that again. The enemy lays traps all day long. There are bear traps in your future, ladies and gentlemen. And you can bypass the majority of them if you would just live rightly. And see, what happened what happen is we go forward and we step in a giant bear trap that the enemy has laid for us, and we whine and complain and blame the devil. Well, the devil set a trap for me. He did, honey, but how about we back up? What did you do the month before that that even led you down that path? Our right living. We'll just move on. Some of you don't like that. All right, number three. Peace. 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 Now, this might sound, not sound like a weapon to you or a piece of equipment, and that's, I, I actually think this is probably the most needed weapon that we have. Why is, it, why is it that we have allowed so much depression and anxiety and night terrors and all these things into the kingdom of God? Why, why is it? And so uh, some of you might say, Okay, Pastor Craig, you need to tread real lightly because I'm struggling with depression and anxiety and I'm on medication. So are you telling me? Hello. Are you telling me that I don't belong in the kingdom of God? Here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that at all. You definitely belong in the kingdom of God because, again, you are a redeemed child of the king. But the depression and anxiety does not belong in the kingdom of God. And he has set things up for us so that we don't have to live under that depression and anxiety. I'm just telling you. I know it's a lot of struggle for some people, but I'm just telling you. It just doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. You do. I do. And we come in confidently and joyfully. And the peace of God passes all understanding. I'm just telling you right now, Jesus doesn't give us, the scripture's in your notes here, but Jesus doesn't give us a peace that you can just find anywhere. The Bible says in the verses in your notes, the Bible says that Jesus gives us his peace. Okay, his peace led him through temptations in the desert. His peace led him to a cross. His peace led him into the pits of hell to redeem all those lost people. His peace isn't affected by the environment that he's in. So let, let, me, let me break that down for a little bit. What the world tries to give us is broken, shaky, shifty peace that changes and shifts every time the environment changes and shifts. And so one day we say we have peace, and the next day we have calamity. You don't have peace. What you have is a thing that the world offers called happiness that they're hawking off and selling as this thing called peace. That's not peace. That's happiness. Happiness is based on the happenings around you. Peace is based on the man that's living in you. And no matter what you go through, that man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is living in you. So you lean on that peace, not the happiness. Because i got news for you. The environment will change for every single one of you tomorrow morning when your alarm goes off. And if you're just going to live by the climate of the day, you are in for a horrible, defeated life. But how can I walk through all this stuff with my head held high, confidently and joyful, full of peace, no matter what's raging all around the world? Because there's this man named Jesus Christ that lives in my heart, that's given me and equipped me with this thing called peace that does not shake, that does not die, that does not fall. That's why he gave us this thing called 2 Timothy. You, I, I, yeah, I didn't lose my place. Here's my deal. I need you, I've quoted this scripture every single week. It would behoove you to memorize this scripture. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given you a spirit of fear. You're struggling with night terrors. You're struggling with not understanding what your future holds. That spirit of fear is from the enemy. It is not from God because God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. 
So are you saying I should never be afraid of anything? There might be situations where you feel, you feel fearful. That's human nature. But a spirit of fear is something that sticks with you and stays with you because you've built a stronghold in your mind that allows it to stay. But that's not from God. God has not given you or me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Come on, are you with me today? Here's the fourth one. The Apostle Paul says this, above all else, faith. Above all else, faith. Faith. Um, we have to have faith. See, here, here's a lie of the enemy with faith, okay? I'm going to ruffle some feathers. If you got feathers, it's your first time at South Point. We tend to pluck them real quick. But um, the enemy throws in the lie. Check this out, because a lot of you probably believe this. The enemy tells you a lie that the better you behave, the more you please God. The better you behave, the closer you are to God. The worse you behave, the more you have disappointed God. And the enemy wants you to think that your relationship with God the Father is based on your behavior when the Bible clearly shows that your relationship with God the Father is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not your behavior. You need to hear me. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to lose it. Now, some of you, oh, I hear, oh, oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. All the Baptists are saying amen. All the Pentecostals are shaking their head like, that is not true. You can backslide. You can backslide. Okay. I'm not going deep into this rabbit hole. Here's what I'm going to say. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible says. But um, under, understand this. I'll just do scripture. How about with that? Because um, Hebrews eleven six. Because again, not small, not simple, not believable. We want the truth. We want biblical. Hebrews eleven six says this, and it is impossible to please God without what? Why doesn't it say good behavior? Why doesn't it say perfect behavior? Why doesn't it say I please God and God shows me He's pleased with me because I can sleep all night? Doesn't say any of that. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. And say, so that's where, are you really saved? I don't know. Do you really believe that God is real? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ died on their cross and resurrected on the third day? Do you really believe it? If you believe it, then you will behave like it. Come on, somebody. I'm up here all alone, Patty. Nobody's, nobody's helping me. You have to believe that God exists and that. And that thing right there messes up so many people in the South. And that he rewards those who seek him. Can I tell you something? Why is it we think God is always waiting to punish us when that is not what the Bible says? He's waiting to reward you. Why well, haven't done anything to be worth rewarded? All you have to do is turn to him and say, I love you. And he's like, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's my girl. That's my child. They have turned to me, and I'm going to reward them more than they've ever deserved because I'm rewarding them based on what Jesus Christ has already done. Mm, that's good. Number five. Ha! <laughs> ah, salvation. The fifth one is salvation. 
And I do like how the Apostle Paul says that it's a helmet, right? I mean, I like that because salvation is really about the mind. I think we kind of watered it. I say watered it down. I don't really mean watered it down. I, we kind of bring it down by thinking it's only our eternal destination. How about that? Salvation is different. And I think we, it's deeper than that. It, it's, it's the way we think. It processes in our mind. And I think we don't understand what salvation is. So I'm going to sit down and go back to Children's Church here with you for a second. All right? And I want to explain what salvation is. And if you're already saved, if you think you're already saved, I want you to listen to this, all right? The entire Old Testament, the old law, the old covenant, was never set up, and there's tons of scriptures for this, it was never set up to completely restore the relationship between humanity and God the Father. Yet, it said, and it points several hundreds of times, to the solution, this man the Messiah, the Savior, it points to this man named Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, all of it will be fulfilled and our relationship with God the Father will be restored to a relationship rather than a master and slave mentality. So this man named Jesus, the Son of God, he puts skin on. He's born of a virgin. He walks the earth completely God, completely man, and he lives a sinless, perfect life showing us the way. And he is falsely accused of all these things, and he is sentenced to die on a cross, and his blood is shed, and he dies there. And that blood that was shed satisfies thousands of years of prophecies and attempts at getting close to God because now Jesus opened the door for it. And all we have to do is accept his sacrifice, and that is it. So if your behavior didn't earn you the salvation, what makes you think that your disbehavior removes it? Oh, I hear the wheels turning. Some of you are so disagreeing with me, and that's fine. We'll be in heaven together. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> because salvation is a way to think. I think differently because I am saved. Well, I want to debate behavior. You can debate behavior all you want, but all I know is if you know you're saved and you think you're saved, I'm going to operate on what I think. You can't act right unless you think right. So when I start thinking right, I'm going to act right. But why are we judging everybody on their behavior rather than on what they're thinking? Because it really starts with what you're thinking, not what you're doing. All right. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Here's the sixth one. The Word of God. Are you all still tracking with me today? All right. The Word of God. The Bible. The Bible. Um, you've probably noticed that a lot, I hope you've noticed, noticed, that a lot of these things that we've talked about are more, and it's even in the armor of God, if you want to go back to the illustration, they're more defensive in nature, right? They're more, I'm struggling with this, so I need to defend against this, right? I mean, that, that's just, that's in there. It's just kind of there. This is, the Apostle Paul calls it the sword of the Spirit, right? The Word of God. And it is the first very offensive offensive weapon, right? It's, it's moving forward. It's taking ground or whatever you want. And we like that because we love using the Bible to offend people. It's offensive. And the Bible is offensive, is it not? And, but we use it, we use it to like offend people. Like I learned this song in children's church when I was about eight years old. This was taught in the church and it is seared in the cortex of my brain. Revelation, Revelation, 21 and 8, 21 and 8, liars burn in hell, liars burn in hell, burn, 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 burn. So encouraging. 
so uplifting. Because as an eight-year-old, I'm like, I can count on two hands how many times I lied in the last three minutes, right? Come on, you know so. And we like to use the scripture. Somebody does something wrong, whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian, and they do something wrong, and we pull out the word of God to fillet them from the floor up, don't we? It's like, oh, you're shacking up. The Bible says. You always know it's good when they start out with the Bible says. The Bible says you're headed to hell. Well, are they, Craig? Why are we still debating the behavior? The Bible says we want to use the word of God on other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We find verses for other people and their behavior rather than finding verses to help set us free. Look at this verse. This is the very first verse I ever memorized in the Bible after John 3.16. Of course, you come out of the womb knowing that one. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, oh my, oh my, oh, oh my, Lord Jesus help me. That must be a, a typo in the Bible. <laughs> what is the word of God for? Do we use it for other people? Yes, but you better use it with grace and not just truth. But when it comes to yourself, you better use it with, tr with tr truth, thanking God for the grace. Do you, do you see the difference? It exposes our thoughts and intentions. And what we end up doing is building bigger strongholds. And by arguing with what the Word of God says, well, this makes me feel good, so I must be true for me. There is still a thing called right and wrong, and it is called the Word of God. And you can choose what you want to do with your life, but I'm just telling you right now, if you want to live defeated, then keep ignoring the Word of God. If you want to be set free finally for the first time in your life, I'm not talking about being heaven-bound and glory-bound and all that. I am talking about living a free, redeemed full and successful life, then start following the Word of God rather than your own intentions, desires, and wills. So, of the, all these verses, you need to find a verse that fits your stronghold, okay? The Word of God is what tears these things down brick by brick. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and do you give me permission to be incredibly transparent? You'll still let me be your pastor when I, because you fit into here something that you might, you might want to turn the camera off. You know what I'm saying? Um, when I was 17, I had, I was 17 years old, and I had a very serious problem with lust. Now, you might say, oh, so you were a typical teenage boy. I was, because I'm a typical teenage boy. Problem was, with me, I recognized, it took me a while, but I recognized that the enemy was throwing me, giving me thoughts of being a normal teenage boy, right? That we, every young man in here, you know exactly, I'm, come on, everybody. Just, oh, it's okay for me to be transparent and honest, but y'all can lie. I get it, I get it. I feel you, bro, I feel you. Fist bump, thanks, I'm all alone. Um, I was taking those thoughts, and I had built a stronghold where now it wasn't just, the, the first thought was, Oh, she's pretty. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, genuinely, she, she's pretty. Okay. Oh, she's hot. 
And then it just built. And I won't even go into the other thoughts. I know you all can, you're following me. And I built a stronghold in my mind around lust, giving the enemy opportunity to live in my mind where now I could, I literally could not look at a female at all without objectifying her and making her a thing, right? I know that's redundant because it's objectifying. Um, objectifying her and allowing the most dark thoughts live. And it had every right to be there. And I got to the point where I, was, I think I was just turning 18, I had, and I had this job working for these lawyers in a courthouse, and I was delivering papers, and I had to carry this stupid briefcase thing, whatever. Anyway, um, and I got to that point where I was praying, and I was just like, God, I don't, I don't want to live this way because I realized, even at 17, I realized I'm more than just a typical teenage boy. I have a problem. I have an addiction to thoughts. And this is darker than what it should be. This is off the scale. And I just said, Lord, I don't want to live in this bondage. I don't, I don't want to live. Now, you might, you're hearing me say all this, and you might think, oh, he was a saint as a kid. Sweetheart, I got lots of stories. I was the furthest thing from a saint, okay? Long, long way from a saint. But this was just one area. You know, some of you, you have that one stronghold that you know you're dealing with, Right? You also know you got about 50 others that are smaller. You'll work on those later, right? This was just the one I was working on at that time. And I said, Lord, I want it gone. I, I, don't, want, I, I don't want to live this way. And he said, what you have is a stronghold. And this is the, really the first thing where I started learning this whole, all the stuff I'm teaching you. You have a stronghold, and the only way to tear down a stronghold is to use the Word of God to tear it down. It's the only way. And it doesn't be, it's not demolished overnight. It's what you call pick and shovel faith. It's brick by brick. It took me years to build the stronghold. Um, it, it took me a while to deconstruct it. But I was unwilling to keep living in the bondage that I was in. The Lord said, here's a verse for you, 2 Corinthians 10.4. And you need to memorize it, son, and put it in your mind. And every time this thought, every time a brick comes into your stronghold to build it higher and stronger, tear that brick down with the word of God. And so I memorized it. It's the verse that we've been talking about these last few weeks. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so I'm in the courthouse. I'm delivering these papers, and so this is all going through my mind. <laughs> and I'm going to walk up these steps. You know, it's the big lobby, courthouses, marbly, and all that stuff in Flint, Michigan. And I go up, and I go to walk up the steps. And the first couple steps, you know, you look at the steps so you don't trip and fall and look like a goof. So I take the first couple steps. And then I look up, and they're, they're, they're in front of me, about three steps, was, well, a girl in a tight, short, little skirt. And it was right there. Come on. Anybody going to help me out here? At least chuckle. I mean, come on. Was, you know what I'm looking at. I'm a, anybody? Anybody? There's kids in here. You want me to spell this out for you or not? You just, and I'm looking. I'm looking. 
We go up a few steps together, and I'm, I'm looking, and the Lord, the Lord said, and all those thoughts, right? All those strong, all those thoughts. I'm thinking things that you shouldn't even think. I'm looking at it, and I say it purposefully. I'm not talking about her backside. I'm talking about all of her because I had objectified her. She was an, she was an it. It was just a, she was just a thing. And so I'm thinking all my thing thoughts, and the Lord said, hey, remember that scripture? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all in my head, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Weapons are our warfare, are not carnal. But I'm still looking. Come on, somebody, you know. Nobody else going to be honest in here? I'm the only one? Come on, some of you are really good at looking at one thing and quoting Scripture at the same time. Anyway, I'll move on since it's my torrid tale. Um, and the Lord said, no, no, son, that's not good enough because... To fight a battle in the mind, if you only use mind thoughts, you can't win that battle. Because the mind has to come out of the mouth to a thing called confession. And so I need you to take that thought and bring it into the real world. You won't utter those nasty things that you're thinking in the real world. But you got to take the power to match that nastiness with the Word of God. So I need you, and we're walking up the stairs, and I'm still looking. Come on, somebody. And he said, I need you to say this scripture out loud. And I'm like, I'm a little daddy too busy for that. You know what I'm saying? And, and the Lord was just like, you choose. This is a word for somebody. Listen to me. He said, you choose. You can either keep doing what you're doing and playing mind games with yourself, or today you can start to make a difference and tear that stronghold down brick by brick. And I said, I'll be honest, I wasn't that happy about it. Have you ever been really frustrated with something going on in you, but you really don't want to do the work to get over it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it was kind of a, fine, you know, fine. Okay, remember where I am. I'm in a courthouse, marbly floors, hard steps, and this beautiful lady in a short little, you get the, right in front of me. And I'm just like, fine, walk up the steps. I'm still looking. <laughs> I said, out loud. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And she just, of course, after about three sentences, that she just kind of stops and turns and looks at me because I'm that crazy meth head now, right? Just rambling behind her. <laughs> I'm the only meth head that quotes scripture, but whatever. And she's kind of stopped and stepped aside, and I just, I just kept walking. Taking every thought captive, the obedience of Christ. Totally embarrassed. But you know what it did? That day, I heard the first brick fall. And after that, it's brick by brick by brick. Does it take work? Yeah. Is it worth it? It really depends what you want to do. Again, you can keep living a defeated life, knowing you're going to heaven one day. Or you can actually bring heaven right here. And live a free, abundant life today. I am definitely not talking about salvation. If you need to get saved, there'll be people down front on both sides. I'm talking about people who are loving Jesus, heaven bound, and you're tired of hitting your face on the same stronghold every single day. Can I pray with you right where you are? Will you just bow your heads? The last one, fill in the blank, is prayer, which is obviously what we're going to do now. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful. 
I'm thankful for the power of your word. I'm thankful that you did not leave us alone, undefensible. But you have equipped us. You have strengthened us. You've made it where we can continually and confidently stand strong in joy and peace and a free mind. You gave every single one of us a sound mind. And so, Father, today, right now, we reclaim that space in the name of Jesus Christ. We take back that mind property that we have built a stronghold around. We take it back right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you show each one of us what scripture we need to memorize, to start deconstructing the very things that we have allowed the enemy to construct in our heads. What is it? Lord, we're going to do the work. We're going to do the work. Because I stand here today a better man than I was then. And it's only by your grace. It's only by your grace and the power of your word. And so, Father, I ask that you do a special work in this house today, that you help us begin tearing those things down in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Listen, before anybody gets up or goes anywhere, um, this is a deep end of the pool topic. This is work on our part. Don't do it alone. There's beautiful people down front on both sides that would love to pray with you and connect with you and help you. And it's just, I'm just telling you, it's easier to do this and walk through it with somebody else. I'm just telling you. So they're down here for you. All right, stand with me if you will. And while you're standing, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to take communion today, there's communion elements down front on both sides that you are more than willing to, more than able to take care, to partake of. All right, let's pray the benediction since I've now run out of all my words. Here we go. Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until we all radiate with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, tigers. Love y'all.